0: Hi, you are now listening to Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by c 4 ECraft with me, Angi Henning-Diaz. On this episode, we have prepared a highlight from GLF Biodiversity Digital Conference, One World, One Health. In this online conference, indigenous leaders, policy experts, heads of global organizations, youth, and more, came together to discuss the importance of biodiversity to prevent future crises of global pandemics and climate change. We will start with an intriguing question from Robert Nassi, C4 Director General and Managing Director of C4 Aircraft, about biodiversity and where us humans stand in this grand scheme
1: called nature. Biodiversity is what sustains our existence. Without biodiversity, there is no food, there is hardly any medicine, and there is no way that the human can survive. And so we can ask ourselves the question we humans, are we really special? And in a sense, we are, because although we represent a small portion on on the biomass on the planet, we have colonized all the ecosystems. In each of the ecosystems that we have colonized, we end up being the top predator. And as a result, we have created our own geological era, the Anthropocene. In a sense, for that, human and special, and, and we are playing a special role. On the other side, in the grand scheme of things, 99% of the species that ever existed on Earth disappeared, going extinct. So the Earth doesn't need you, I mean, doesn't need me, doesn't need us, doesn't need humanity. So the question that we have to ask ourselves now is that have we failed uh, biodiversity for the sake of development? And the answer, unfortunately, is yes. So if we want ourselves to survive and reach the average uh, lifespan of a normal species, which is about one million years, and, and we are now at 750,000. So we still have 250,000 years to, to survive. Or if we want to disappear like a global civilization, on the average lifespan of a civilization, which is 300 years, which is about 10-15 years from now, we have to make some choices. And these choices are us. The Roman or the Mayan, they were powerful civilization, but they were local civilization, and they collapsed because of climate change because of overuse of resources. Our civilization is the only global civilization, and if this civilization is collapsing, that's the end of human life as we know it.
0: Next up, Elizabeth Merma, Executive Secretary of the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, emphasized the link between biodiversity crisis and health crisis all of which are the result of our unsustainable way of living, leading to one of the most critical time in human history.
2: We are living through one of the most extraordinary threats to global health, compounded by interlocking crises of biodiversity loss, land and environmental degradation, and climate change. Biodiversity is declining at an unprecedented rate with human actions threatening species with global extinction more than ever before. 75% of the land surface is significantly altered. In 2018 alone, the worldwide economic stress and damage from natural disasters totaled over US dollars, 160 billion. Climate change will also lead to increased health crises, burdening thinly stretched health systems, particularly for the poorest and most vulnerable, including many low and middle income countries. Let me be clear here. Nature is not to be blamed for COVID-19 pandemic. Our unsustainable interactions with nature have created the conditions for this situation, which is to be blamed. We are aware that 60% of non-infectious diseases and 75% of emerging infectious diseases are zoonotic in nature. But the mismanagement of wildlife and their habitats contributes to the risk of emerging infectious diseases outbreaks. I want to tell you about an interview I read with a 13-year-old environmental advocate who questioned, why go to school if we won't have the future? Why go to school if we are going to be too busy running from the next hurricane or fire? When youth, those who hold the future in their hands raise these poignant questions, ladies and gentlemen, there's something broken that we all need to fix and fix urgently.
0: It is not that we have done nothing to right our wrongs. Efforts to halt the ongoing crisis has been done both in local and international level. But something is still missing, according to Virginia Young from the Australian Rainforest Conservation Society. She is also a member of the World Commission on Protected Areas and the IUCN Task Force on Primary Forest and Intact Forest Landscapes.
3: Everyone on on um, attending this session is probably only too acutely aware of the scale of the biodiversity and climate crises and the other related crises such as the pandemic that are really um, emblematic of our failure to deal with the major uh, challenges to the health of the biosphere of our time. Uh, and it's, it's really no exaggeration to say that The issues are so complex and the interactions between these crises so entwined that they can't be solved unless we develop holistic approaches to protecting and restoring the health of the biosphere. That framing, I think has been something that has been largely missing from the silos under which the UN um, Rio conventions operate. And it's, it's interesting Um, Given that we all know that we're dependent on the natural world, um, that's not new knowledge. So why is it that these policy frameworks have struggled to acknowledge, let alone foster integrated solutions to the global crises that our past failures have created? The silos, it's not just about the structure of the convention. It is very territorial when you work in these spaces. People are acutely... Um, sensitive to treading on the toes of other conventions, and so they tend to go to great pains to avoid reflecting on anything that one or other of the conventions might, might do that might impact on their own goals. So I would argue, and many others, I'm certainly not alone in this, that bridging the gaps between the conventions is urgent. And the obvious bridge is that the integrity of all ecosystems matters for the success or failure of all the conventions, whether that's for stable long-term carbon storage, biodiversity protection, human health and well-being, climate resilience, sustainable development, and that biodiversity and Indigenous people underpin the integrity of many critically important ecosystems.
0: Next up, listen to Dennis Carroll, Chair of the Global Firearm Project Leadership Board, who is also former director of the USAID pandemic, influenza, and other emerging threats unit, as he emphasized the need to connect different expertise to save our planet.
4: Well, really the very first step is that the professional community the public health professionals, the veterinarians, uh, wildlife and conservation specialists, the ecosystem specialists. We have to tear down the barriers between us. These silos that we've built around our professions are the greatest impediment to our being able to really uh, better manage the risks and better manage the shared impact that we're having uh, on this planet, we need to begin developing a comprehensive um, whole of community, if you will, approach that allows us to bring public health professionals, veterinarians, wildlife specialists, conservationists, uh, landscape professionals into a shared understanding that if we don't better, one, manage the, our footprint on this planet, and by footprint, I mean how disruptive we are on land use, how disruptive we are on the ecosystems, then all of the associated problems that we're seeing with emerging viral diseases, climate change, all of these are issues um, that are really putting our entire, not just planet, our species at risk. So if we want to have an impact, first, we have to begin forging a much stronger shared community approach uh, towards addressing these future challenges. Because quite frankly, as we move further into the 21st century, um, more and more people, we're going to have close to 12 billion people by the end of this century, which means if we are not more thoughtful, our footprint is going to continue to impact this planet that leads us vulnerable to all of these related threats new viral diseases um, extreme weather events that uh, really put us at risk so if we want to have a global impact we need to begin organizing our local efforts in a way that make us one community that is committed to the health of the planet and by extension we will find healthy humans healthy ecosystems healthy animals
0: so where do we start yolanda kakabat former minister of environment for ecuador who has also led the iucn and the world wildlife fund international calls the change of our language to make sure everyone understands the scale of crisis that we're in and thus willing to work together towards the change that we aim for
5: We need to involve all members of society. Uh, I I find that, for example, we need to change the language. We are using very sophisticated language. I find I think I'm well educated and understand most of it, but I, I can't get the language of the experts when they try to explain what's going on in the planet and what needs to happen. The first change. I would make is that we shouldn't call it climate change, but climate crisis, biodiversity depletion, but biodiversity crisis. Those are the words that people need to hear in order to understand and act. So first change, move from technicities into common, understandable language that everybody can understand and act and be called on. The second thing is define topics that are close to the everyday life for society to react to. I find, for example, that food loss and waste is one of those topics because it touches everybody. We all eat and we all get food from somewhere. And we all should know that about a third of the food that we produce in the planet is wasted. We all should know that 800 million people go to sleep at night with no food. And we should also know that if food loss and waste was a country, it would be the third emitter of gases. China, US, and food loss and waste. And and it touches also every sector of society, the producer and the consumer, young and old, men and women, North, South, East and West. And also we should discuss what the impact of these potential changes can be. In the case of food loss and waste, it's an economic uh, impact. Every dollar that is spent on reducing food loss and waste gives a return of $7. That's a lot. And we should should move that agenda forward. It has a social impact because it begins to link sectors of society that in a way have become clusters and don't want to connect. Even worse now that we are living through this COVID-19 crisis. It helps biodiversity because it makes us think of how do we deal with agriculture. And if I had to put my finger onto the most important issue we need to address at this moment, where do we start is changing patterns of food production of agriculture. That will help biodiversity, the restoration of soil and land will, will help climate, will help society and will help definitely our economy.
0: Every part of the society plays a critical role in this scenario, and that means no one should be left behind. Nonette Royo, Executive Director of the 10-Year Facility, highlights the need to ensure the rights of indigenous communities around the world who are the custodians of nature for millennia.
6: Healthy ecosystems are good for climate as they exist in equilibrium and depend entirely upon a diversity of species. Most of these critical ecosystems fall within indigenous territories and they are actors for millennia in that equilibrium. While the world's 350 million indigenous peoples make up less than 5% of the global population, they protect over a quarter of the world's land area, supporting four-fifths of all biodiversity On the other hand, unrecognized community land rights contribute to high deforestation rates largely driven by financial interests. We are facing a crossroads, one towards the sixth mass extinction and global temperatures are still rising, but the other towards recovery. Additionally, the coronavirus pandemic raises the stakes and forces us to embrace uncertainty like we have never done before. So as we race to recover and find the right solutions, we say we build back, but no, that would not work because what we did with the land before the pandemic got us to this mess. So we build forward towards a different global economy that will challenge the business as usual production trade consumption patterns. Concretely, we learn to rely more on each other In recovery, we do our part, and we allow those closest to forests to do theirs. The type of forests that will save us now are not the trees we plant today. These are the standing forests, ancient forest groves in the last largest tropical rainforests of the world in the Amazon, the Congo Basin, Indonesia, PNG. Indigenous Peoples have shown us how to effectively manage these lands and forests and evidence point to the environmental, social and economic benefits that accumulate when they are empowered to protect these lands. Deforestation rates are two to three times lower in secure Indigenous lands. The rights-based approach ensures that Indigenous Peoples get formal rights and or receive recognition of their customary rights, and that their responsibility and work to protect and secure these lands are sufficiently financed. This automatically secures an ecosystem. Finance and financial instruments need to ensure inclusion and build capacity of local people and local enterprise, and not only targeting the benefits of big business and big projects green just recovery means meeting the forest guardians, the local and indigenous peoples, where they are for more informed financial and technical support to bridge their local visions with global visions of a just, sustainable, and equitable world. A green just recovery means recognizing indigenous peoples and rights holders and supporting their full participation in all actions that determine their future
0: private sector could also be a powerful driver towards a better natural resources and landscape management. Nur Darus, Head of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability of Unilever Indonesia, brings the example on how private companies shift to a more sustainable business that also empowers local communities.
7: We take a three-pronged approach to a nature-based economy where people Empowerment is at the center of this approach and why is this important it's important that we need to prove to our growers. That sustainable production and protection will generate sustainable livelihood and we assist them to be on this journey together by fostering inclusivity of the smaller producers. We support the skills and development of the next generation, and we also support the women in these communities. We also ensure that our suppliers and smallholder partners use the natural capital responsibly. We focus our sustainability strategy on our direct supply chain. We accelerate and scale sustainable sourcing initiatives. We also assist farmers to improve their productivity and yield. And at the same time, we introduce and promote conservation and restoration activities under the Regenerative Agriculture Code. And we execute our sustainability strategy in strategic landscapes and or jurisdictions by focusing on an entire jurisdiction rather than individual suppliers within that jurisdiction. The jurisdictional approach offers the potential to holistically accelerate and scale sustainable commodity production initiatives across the jurisdictions, hence minimizing leakage. But this would only succeed when supportive sustainable commitment, policy framework, and agreed governance tools are in place across the jurisdiction. This is a huge undertaking that could only be executed in Gotong Royong, which means together, hand in hand, and in partnerships across stakeholders. As a company, we know that we cannot pull this off alone. Hence, we collaborate with many stakeholders, including the national and subnational governments, CSOs, and many implementing partners on
0: the ground. To round up this highlight, Let's reflect what Robert Nassi said about taking action urgently.
1: We have seen in the past that society can take uh, hard decisions, can make sacrifices, but it's mainly when they see a very, uh, how can I say, acute crisis. So the enemy is at the gates. When we are dealing with slow variables like biodiversity loss or climate change, we are much less uh, intent to do something. So we need to move together and, and create a movement in terms of taking the hard decision and making the sacrifice that we have to do uh, on an equitable manner to protect the biodiversity, uh, mitigate and adapt to climate change and ultimately ensure the survival of, of our civilization or better civilization. Now the question is can we do it? I think so. The most important question is that are we ready to do it or do we want to do it? And
0: that wraps up the highlight from GLF Biodiversity Digital Conference. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode.